Hey, my name is Samer. Uh, so pumped to be with y'all tonight. Um, I'm up in Woodstock. I know, like, y'all probably think Woodstock people are weird. I wasn't born there. I just worked there, so back off, okay? Uh, grew up in Marietta, Powder Springs. Let's go. Anyway, so, um, yep, yeah, that's right. That's right. So, uh, super pumped to be here with y'all uh, as we conclude this series, IDK, talking about God's will for your life. And, and I want to be really clear about the subtitle. I know you talked about it last week or the week before, whenever y'all did part one, um, understanding God's will for your life, not knowing God's will for your life, because that's what we want to do. We want to know, we want to know, we want to know, we want to know, but we want to kind of take a step back and say, hey, let's just understand how God's will for your life works. Um, it's probably one of the uh, biggest questions, most frequent questions I get as a college pastor is what is God's will for my life? And tonight, tonight, I'm super excited. Matt, thank you for having me. What y'all are doing here is incredible, by the way. Um, and and the, where we're going tonight, I'm really excited about because we're going to be talking about God's will for your life as it relates to the big three. That's what I'm calling them. I'm calling them the big three. Tonight, we're going to be talking about God's will for your life as it relates to what your job is going to be or what major you should have, who you're going to marry, hello, and where you're going to live after college. The big three, the big three, um, what your job is going to be, who you are going to marry, and where you are going to live. Some of y'all are like, I already know who I'm going to marry. I just need him to figure it out. Um, <laughs> massive questions, though. Um, I don't know that there are three bigger things that you might be thinking about than who you're going to marry, what your job is going to be one day, and where you're going to live one day as it relates to God's will. For life. I mean, the implications of these three questions are massive. You don't want to get them wrong. There's a lot of things you're going to get wrong. The last thing I want to get wrong is who I'm going to marry, right? I mean, the last thing you want to get wrong is, is living in the wrong place. The last thing you want to get wrong is majoring in something and wasting all that time, wasting all that studying, and then being in a job that you hate. And so tonight, I want to talk a little bit about the big three as it relates to God's will for your life. But to do so, um, I want to um, do a little myth busting. Um, there was this show on Discovery Channel. Um, I don't know if you guys remember it, called Mythbusters. Y'all remember this show? Yeah, those, yeah. Is this still a thing? You responded like it was still a thing. <laughs> My girl in the back DVRs it. That's why she was screaming so loud. Okay. Um, but it was these two old dudes, kind of weird. Um, and what they did was um, they uh, would take these myths and decide and do some experiments to figure out whether it was actually a myth or was actually true. Their goal was to bust these myths. One of them that I remember watching was like, hey, a bullet um, can't penetrate more than 12 inches through water, right? So if you're like 13 inches underwater, the bullet won't kill you. Pretty sure that that was not true. Uh, but they, they do these kinds of experiments and they figure out, um, hey, is this myth true or is it busted? And so tonight I want to do my best myth busters impression. Um, and to talk about the big three, I want to bust the myth of the one, the myth of the one. And here's what the myth of the one is. The myth of the one goes a little something like this, that there is one person that I'm supposed to marry. God's put them on layaway for me. That there is one job I'm supposed to have and only one job. And there is one place and only one place that I'm supposed to live. And so what it looks like for me to figure out God's will is I got to figure out who that one person is. I got to figure out what that one major, when that job is. And I've got to figure out where it is that God wants me to live. The myth of one goes a little something like this, that if I don't marry the one that God has for me, I'm going to be miserable for the rest of my life. 
that the, one, the, the, the myth of the one goes a little something that if I don't figure out the one job that God wants me to have, I'm going to hate my life from nine to five. The myth of one goes, man, if I miss where God wants me to live, then I'm going to miss my purpose and hate everything about my life and probably have nine cats. The myth of the one, the myth of the one. Now, I don't care who you are, what you believe or don't believe about Jesus or faith. If you've ever even pondered about God, um, you've probably thought about the myth of the one, that there's one person, there's one job, and there's one place for me. And, and, and here's essentially what we're saying with the myth of one. The myth of one is kind of terrifying if it's true, because that means there really is one. And if you don't pick the right one, that means you pick the wrong one. And here's ultimately what we're saying with the myth of one. And maybe you've never put those words around it, but you believe some kind of version about the myth of one. Here's ultimately what you're saying is that you can decide your way out of the will of God. That's what the myth of one says, that you can decide your way out of God's will for your life. Because if you choose the wrong one, and that certainly isn't what God's will for your life was, if you choose the wrong place, if you choose the wrong girl, if you choose the wrong guy, if you choose the wrong major, if you choose the wrong job, then you've decided your way out of the will of God. And that, if it's true, is terrifying. Anyone ever been paralyzed by a decision? Anybody? Yeah, okay, just me. Y'all lying, man. Whenever, whenever I go to the cereal aisle, I am paralyzed. It's too much, man. America, y'all need to chill. It's too much. I'm like, okay, do I need to be healthy and get special K? Do I need to be adult and get raisin bran? Or am I trying to go back to my childhood and get cinnamon toast crunch? I don't know. You know, every time. And now, whenever, honestly, some of the worst days of my life are when I finish a show on Netflix and I don't know what to do next. Anybody? I can't tell you how many times I've Googled top shows on Netflix because I don't know what to do. And now, you know, they tell you eight seasons. Like, man, I ain't trying to commit to eight seasons. I don't know if you're worth it. You know, like, you've been paralyzed by a decision. When there's so many options, it's terrifying, especially if you believe there's only one right option. Think about your life. I mean, if there really is only one, there's a lot of people that you can marry. Plenty of them in this room. Ladies are like, ah, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Fellas are like, yeah, let's go. There's a lot that you could marry. I mean, there's a lot of options. I don't want to get that wrong. I mean, there's a lot of majors you could choose. There's a lot of jobs that you could have. There's a lot of places that you could live. I mean, if there's really only one, yeah, all the options, it's terrifying and it's paralyzing even. In fact, did you know the word decide in the Latin root actually means to cut off? So think about this. When you are making a decision, you know why it's so terrifying? Because you are literally cutting off other options. That when you are choosing A, you are cutting off B and C. If you are choosing B, then you're cutting off C and A. So some of I don't know, you know, like if I need to commit to her, because what if, what if there's someone, what if I'm cutting off someone that I don't even know yet? I don't even know E, but I think she's awesome. You know, it's terrifying to cut off a decision, to cut off options, to cut off the potential of what could be. The myth of one says, man, you better not cut the wrong one off because then once you cut the wrong one off, then you are no longer in God's will for your 
life. But all that, if the myth of one is true, um, I'm here to tell you tonight that the myth of one is not true. Um, that, that, that God's will for your life is not that there is one person, that there's only one person out there for you to marry, that there's not just one job out there for you to have in one place for you to live. No, no, I love the song that we sang. I think what you're going to find tonight is God is bigger than you thought he was. He's bigger than this myth of one. And no matter how powerful you think that you are, God is too big for you and me to decide our way out of his will for our lives. So I want to look at something that the Apostle Paul said in Colossians chapter 3. Um, he's writing this letter to his friends in modern-day Turkey. And a little bit of context, the Apostle Paul is specifically talking about, he's writing to his Christian friends, and he's saying this. He's saying, hey, um, before um, you met Jesus, you were um, this, you, he calls it the old self. He says this a lot in the New Testament, old self versus the new self. And the old self is you and me before you met Jesus. And Paul says, the only thing I can think of when you meet Jesus is you are a completely brand new self. In other words, you have new priorities. You have a new way that you see the world and everything that you do and everything that you prioritize and in every aspect of your life is different when Jesus is a part of the equation. So he's got the old self pre-Jesus and then the new self. So he's writing to these Christians about what life should look like, how we can hope, what we should, how we should behave, what we should be pursuing if we are Jesus followers as the new self. And he says something right here in Colossians chapter three, verse 17, that flips this God's will conversation upside down in the best possible way. This is what he says in Colossians chapter three, verse 17. And whatever you do, Paul says, in whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Hey, uh, in whatever you do, well, what do you mean, Paul? What do you mean in whatever? Like, literally in whatever. In whatever you do, in word or deed, these two words, word or deed, it's a, it's a grammatical tool where Paul is basically trying to say in any and every single thing you could ever do or say, in the way that you talk, in the way that you choose, in the way that you study, in the way that you date, in the way that you marry, in the way that you work, in whatever you do, you name it, it's included in word or deed. I want you to do it all in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is a massive statement that the Apostle Paul is saying. Because for the Apostle Paul, he was not so much concerned about what it is that you were doing, per se. Yeah, there are some limitations. We'll talk about that in just a second, especially week one. Seek first his righteousness, okay? But he wasn't so much concerned about that. More than what you, yeah, yeah, okay, the specifics, yeah, yeah, whatever you want to do. Specifics, yeah, yeah, okay, whoever, it's okay, that's fine. I'm more concerned with how and why you do it. What? Oh, you got a brain? Figure it out. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Whatever you want to do, okay, yeah, that's fine. I'm more concerned about how you do it and why you do it. Paul here is writing about the how and the why that for you and for me and whatever it is that we are pursuing, we are to do it in a way that honors God. We are to do it in a way that makes much of Jesus. So you bring this into the conversation of God's will for your life and it changes everything. See, because the idea of the myth of one, here's how it looks at God's will for your life. 
that it, it basically communicates to you and to me and makes us believe that God's will is kind of this all or nothing kind of idea. That we either get all of it or none of it. Literally, if I don't choose right, then I get none of it, all or nothing. If I don't choose the one, then I get nothing, and my life is hopeless, and it's purposeless, and I've got the wrong person, and I hate my life, all or nothing. But what Paul is saying here is something completely different. And what I'm about to say to you, I'm about to admit, is really cheesy, okay? It is. It sounds cheesy. So we're going to go ahead and get this out of the way. I want everybody on three just to say, Sam, or that's cheesy, one, two, three, Okay, I get it. I pre- that's fine. I don't care what you think about me. Okay, fine. You feel better about yourself now? Fine. Okay, that's great. So you got out the way. What I'm about to say is cheesy, but I hope it's memorable. Because here's what the Apostle Paul is saying, is that God's will is not about all or nothing decision. It's about God's will is about all for him decisions. Hear this. That God's will is not about an all or nothing decision. I got to pick the right one, go the right way. It's just one, it's just one, it's just one. No, no, no. God's will is about all for him decisions in whatever you do, in all that you do, in whatever your job is and whoever you pursue and whoever you date, the how and the why, it's about all for him decisions. In whatever you do, you would make much of the name of Jesus. In whatever you do in word or deed, you would make the name of Jesus known. So what does that mean for the big three? Well, um, I hope this frees some of you up tonight, because here's what I want to talk about for the remaining time we have together tonight, is that God's will for your life is whatever, whomever, and wherever. God's will for your life is whatever, whomever, and wherever. God's will for your life is whatever, whomever, and wherever. First one, God's will is whatever. God's will is whatever. And I don't mean like whatever, you know, like it's, anytime I do impressions, I go straight to like a white girl valley voice. I don't know why I do that, but God's will for your life is whatever. I don't mean that flippantly. I don't mean like there's nothing else. Uh, Like it's just, it's something you don't need to think about. No, I quite literally mean as it relates to your job, as it relates to your major, God's will for your life is what ever. So oftentimes we agonize over trying to figure out, okay, God, what do you want my major to be? God, what job am I supposed to have? What am I supposed to do with my life? God, I'm I'm asking you, God, please make it clear to me. God, change this verse in the Bible to tell me what my major should be. I've got to declare. I've got to register for classes. Lord, can you please just tell me, like, make it clear to me, what do you want me to do? And there are so, if I can imagine God So oftentimes I imagine him looking at us thinking, oh my gosh, I've made it so clear. You're just not paying attention. I've told you in a million different ways what I want you to do. You're just not paying attention. You two are scared to take a step. So what I want to look at for just a couple of minutes is, hey, what are four questions you can ask that might help you figure out what it is that God wants you to do? And he might be speaking through these four questions in a way like you never thought before. God's will is whatever. Here's a helpful question you can ask yourself as you're trying to figure out. What makes me come alive? What makes me come alive? I want you to ask yourself that question. What is it that like makes you wake up in the morning and you can't stop thinking about it when you go to sleep at night? Like what's that thing that makes you come alive that gets your blood flowing? Like you are, like where do your passions take you? What makes you come alive? 
Like for some of you, for some of you, like man, you absolutely love pets. Like there's something about you. I kind of get you on the dog level, but then you've lost me for every other animal. But you love animals and you've got a passion for animals. And you're like, man, I want to, I love animals. I think I want to be a veterinarian. I'm like, great, go be a veterinarian and go be the best veterinarian for the glory of God that you can possibly be. Some of you are like, man, I just love, I love, I love finance. I love Wall Street. I'm going to get to Wall Street one day. I'm going to make a lot of money. I'm like, yep, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget me. Um, or your college pastor, Matt. Okay, Matt, throw me some bones after. Okay, like, yeah, you can get to Wall Street. I hope you get to Wall Street. That's awesome. Man, I love finance. I love investment. Great. So go work in finance. Go make it to Wall Street and do it in such a way that points people to Jesus. Do it in such a way that makes much of the name of Jesus. So oftentimes, we want God to tell us, hey, what is it that you want me to do? And he's put these passions in your heart. Man, for me, um, I started pursuing ministry because I got to a point in my life where I realized there was nothing else that I could possibly do with my life. I mean, there's literally nothing else that I wanted to do. There's nothing else that would make me come alive more than being a part of the movement of God in the context of the local church. Did God, like, tell me, Samer, go to ministry, you know? I don't know, that sounds stupid. I don't know why I said it like that. That's not what God sounds. But God definitely sounds like Morgan Freeman. Okay, um... <laughs> No, he didn't, he didn't do that. But if by called, you mean it got to a point where I literally saw myself doing nothing else and it's the thing that woke me up and the thing that I wanted to chase after with everything that I was, yeah, then God called me. So what makes you come alive? Figure it out and go do that and do it in a way that makes much of the name of Jesus. Second question that you can ask yourself is this, what am I good at? Like, what am I good at? There's some people that think they're good at things that they're not good at. Don't be that person, okay? But like, what are you good at? Like, what have you just, you've just always been better than everybody than that. You've just excelled in this one area. What are you gifted at? What do you have natural inclinations to do? Some of y'all, man, you're just so patient with people. And you've got this really good way of taking the complex and making it simple. And you want to be a teacher. Guess what? You should go be a teacher and do it in such a way. You'd be the best fifth grade teacher. No, I was a little demons. You'd be the best. You'd be the best 10th grade teacher that you could ever be. And you do it even worse, right? You'd be the best teacher. So I don't know what grade y'all like. Man, we were all jacked up till we got to college. Am I right? Anyways, so I still was jacked up in college. Um, you go be the best teacher that you could possibly be. You do it in a way that makes much of the name of Jesus. Some of y'all are just really good at cooking. Everyone loves to come over to your apartment because you make four-course meals. Like, you, you, you do it all, man, and you do, like, dessert. You don't make box cake, man. You do that junk straight from scratch. Like, you are, you're really good. Guess what? You should go be a cook and be the best cook that you could possibly be and do it so excellently and do it in a way that points other people to Jesus because in whatever you do, Paul says, so go, man, be, okay, what are you good at? God, we're sitting here agonizing like, oh, Lord, what should I do? And he's like, who do you think made you a good cook? Your mom watching Food Network when she was pregnant with you? No! I did that. God's like, I gave you this passion. I gave you this gift. Stop overthinking this and go do it in a way that makes much of the name of Jesus. 
Here's another helpful question. What do others affirm in you? What do others affirm in me? Ask yourself. Like, what do people that you love and trust and care about and have a voice in your life say about you? Like, what do they affirm in you? What do they call out in you? Have you ever had someone say, hey, man, you're really good at, hey, have you ever thought about, hey, you, you just, every time I see you, you tend to be good at, they see you do something. What do people affirm in you? Man, when I was um, a senior in high school, I was on a mission trip. And uh, my mentor, now he's still my mentor, and he's my youth pastor at the time. Um, we were walking and we were talking, and he looked at me, and this was the first time I'd ever heard this. He said, Hey, Samer, you ever thought about going into ministry? I said, No, nah, I, don't, I, don't I don't know about that. And he said, Well, man, I, I think you're a leader, and I think you're really gifted, and I think God could do something incredible through you if you did. First time I ever heard it. First time anybody called it out in me like that, and I was never able to shake it. Um, I've always been kind of okay at speaking in public, you know. Um, originally, my parents were just like, man, you should be a lawyer because you're really good at talking, you know. I chose ministry. Um, but yeah, complete opposite. You ain't lying. Um, but, but, but there are a lot of people that affirm that in me. I remember I took a marketing class in college because I was a finance major. And I took a marketing class. And at this point, I knew I wanted to go into ministry. And we had to get up there and, and give these marketing presentations. And, uh, and I got up there, I crushed it. And the, um, and the marketing professor, he was like, hey, that, Sam, that was, that was really good. And I was like, thank you. And he said, you're, you're going into marketing, right? And I was like, kind of embarrassed. I was like, no, I sang in front of the whole class. You know, I'm like, no, I'm, I'm actually going into, <clears throat> going into ministry. <laughs> and he goes, oh, no. He goes, you are going into marketing. You're just selling a higher product. And I was like, okay, okay, yeah. I was like, that'll preach. Okay. Man, had to be a Christian. Um, (laughs) But what do other people affirm in you? That's not an accident. God gave you those gifts and lean into that, pursue that, and do it in a way that makes much the name of Jesus. And then the last one is this. What am I willing to sacrifice for? Because whatever it is that you are going to pursue is going to require time, it's going to require energy, it's going to require tuition dollars, training. There are going to be things that you have sex for. Man, when I was um, a freshman, I wanted to make my dad proud, and so I was a pre-med major. For one semester, y'all. I took one chemistry class, and I was like, nope. You could be disappointed, Dad. I ain't about to. What's crazy is my little brother, he's a resident at Emory, so that medical just skipped my gene. It, he didn't know it was the next one. He got it wrong. It's my, my brother helping me with all my prescriptions and stuff. Um, yep. Now, I wasn't willing to sacrifice for that. I'm studying chemistry. I'm like, man, I don't care what a carbon is. I don't need to know. Way smarter people could take care of that for me. I want to go to the doctor. He could tell me what's wrong. I don't need to diagnose myself, you know? But I'll tell you what, when I got to graduate school and I went to seminary and I studied more about the Bible than anybody would ever want to know, man, I had to sacrifice a lot. I moved halfway across the country to Dallas. I am not exaggerating when I tell you over the course of four years, I read thousands of pages of books. I wrote hundreds of pages of papers. I mean, studying was my full-time job. It was crazy. 
but I sacrificed for it because it was the thing that I knew I wanted to pursue. For me, it was worth every single hour and every single bit of energy because I knew it was something that I was willing to sacrifice for. So what are you willing to sacrifice for? Lean into that and don't ignore that. So I'm telling you, in whatever you do, do it in a way that makes much of the name of Jesus. You don't have to worry whether or not you're in the middle of God's will. I'm telling you, you will be. And a quick side note before I move on to the second one. Um, Christians in the room, I talk to college students all the time, like, oh, yeah, I feel like I should go into ministry. If you're a Christian in the room and you want to go into ministry, that's great. But you don't have to go into ministry just because you feel like you need to. Like, it's not an obligation just because you're a Christian. There's some of y'all that really feel called to ministry and you should do that. It's awesome. But I talk about, I feel like I just should. I'm like, no, if you just should, you probably shouldn't. <laughs> because let me just tell you that, yeah, if you, you want to go on ministry, that's great. But we need more doctors and we need more nurses and we need more bankers and we need more technicians and we need more engineers and we need more basketball coaches and we need more stay-at-home moms and we need more stay-at-home dads that are willing to shine the light of Jesus in those dark places than we do more people in the church. So let me just tell you, yeah, let me just tell you, don't go into ministry just because you should because there are way darker places that need you to leverage all that God created you to be to make much of the name of Jesus. And you will make infinitely greater impact out there than you will in here. And that is what God wants you to do. So how is he wired you, man? What are you passionate about? What has he gifted you? And lean into that. So in that sense, God's will for your life and your job and your major is whatever. Do it all in a way that makes much of the name of Jesus. Second one, God's will is whomever. Ooh, it's a good one. This one's fun. Whomever. Don't raise your hands. Don't raise them. Please don't. But how many of you guys believe in a soulmate? Yeah, don't raise them. <laughs> There's only one for me. Only one. And that's it. There's only one. Let me just tell you, it's not true. It's not true. Soulmates aren't a real thing in the way that we think about them. They are in the movies. That's fine. Because movies aren't real people. Have you ever played this out logically in your head? that there's only one person you're supposed to marry? Think about this for just a minute. All it takes is one person to get it wrong and it throws off the whole world. Have you ever thought about this for a minute? Think about it. Like one person gets it wrong and it's messed it up for you and you and you and you and me. Because you got Jennifer over here who uh, was supposed to marry Stephen, but she started to get flirty and said, I do to Justin. And then Justin, he's miserable because he was actually supposed to marry Catherine. And Catherine's all upset because she was supposed to marry my dude earlier for, oh, boom, who's dancing. And then he, yeah, and then he got it wrong and he's all upset and he doesn't like her because he was really supposed to marry Justina. I don't even know what I'm trying to say anymore. Come on. Think about that. That's, that's impossible. I know, I'll just be honest with you. I watched The Bachelor and The Bachelor with my wife. No shame. It is what it is, okay? That shows I'm not, I'm not saying that you should watch it. I'm just saying it is entertaining, okay? But think about it. Occasionally, that show, in a crazy way, they end up together. There's a couple of them that are married and have kids. So are you telling me that if there's one person, somehow that one dude got on the show, and then that one girl got in that 20, and then they ended up together on a reality TV show? Come on, people. It's not a good way to meet someone. I'm just using it as an example. There's no such thing as the, as the one. No, no, no. It's way, way bigger than that. 
I love um, what my wife says about this, um, because what the one does, before I get there, what, what the one does more than anything, it's actually harmful ways of thinking. It's not very helpful. You know why? Because you know what the one does? The one starts making excuses for us. When the relationship gets difficult, ooh, they must not be the one. When, when, when she hurts you, mm, she must not be the one. When he does something wrong, oh, must not be the one. See ya. <laughs> like, like when it just gets hard, when, you, when, when it becomes risky, when you start to get nervous, oh, they must not be the one because I wouldn't be nervous if they were the one. Please. This girl coughing. <coughs> he said that to me. I hate him. <coughs> It becomes an excuse, but really relationships, man, that's where you sacrifice. There is risk involved. I love my wife with every bit, that, every fiber of my being, but guess what? I was nervous on my wedding day. Why? Because I'm human, people. Relationships require sacrifice. They're never perfect. When two messed up people get in a relationship, guess what? You can love Jesus all that you want. You're going to hurt each other. You're going to need to learn to forgive each other. You're going to have to work through things because there's no two perfect people. So it doesn't mean they're not the one. It just means you need to work for it. I love what my wife says. You know what the one is? You get your one when you say, I do. That's when you get your one. You get your one when you say, I do. When you say, I do, then they become your one. Not because that was the only person that you could marry. No, but that's just the one that you said, I do to. There you go. You got your one. Because I love my wife with everything, but she's not the only one that I could have married. And God knows I wasn't the only one she could have married. She probably would have done better without me. Thank God she married me, though. (laughs) Said I do. Said I do. They become my one, and I became her one. Now, look, did God know I was going to marry her? Yes, he did. Did did God knew? Like, he knew. Like, yeah, that's who who I got. You're going to marry, and it's going to be amazing. And you say, I do. Yeah, he knew that. Did he tell me? Was he like, hey, Sam, listen, when you go to campus today, the sparkling white dove is going to land on her shoulder, might poop a little bit, and she's the one. Trust me. No. We, we, we have the Holy Spirit to light up a path of fire to him. You know, like that's the one. God doesn't do that. Did he know I was going to marry her? Yes, he did. Now, how does God's sovereignty work with my free will? I don't fully understand, but here's what I do know, is that he knew I was going to marry her, but he did not tell me until I got to know her. Because this is how it actually went. Man, when me and I found out, I, I kinda, me, we went to grad school together, and um, I was interested in her. I knew she was interested in me, but I was so scared to ask her out because we were friends and I was doing that stupid thing that guys do where we get all noncommittal. And, um, and so I was like, I don't know. Like, I was like, what if it works out? That's an irrational fear. That's a good thing. Um, you know, like if I, if this works out, I could marry her. This could be the last person I date. I don't know. I did the Christian thing. I put my, my headphones in those little, uh, you know, the Apple ones, the old ones. And I started walking and praying. I was like, what? I look back. I was like, what was I doing? I was praying, asking God if I should ask her on a date. I'm not saying you shouldn't pray about stuff like that, but how am I supposed to know? I'll never forget, man. I got on the phone with my best friend's name, Ben. And Ben said, Samer, I was telling him about this whole Julie thing. I said, man, I'm not sure. I've been praying about it. He goes, Samer, stop. He said, I got three questions. I said, okay. He said, are you attracted to her? I said, yeah. He said, do you like spending time with her? I said, yeah. He said, does she follow Jesus? I said, yeah. He said, then shut up and ask her out. I swear. And I was like, Oh, okay, I don't be mean, mean about it, you know? <laughs> but he was right. He was right. And I asked her out, and I'm so glad I did. And not because 
We got married. That's awesome. But I would have never known had I not tried to get to know her. Man, I wish some Christian guys would get better at dating. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness, Christians. We are so bad at dating. If we could be healthier daters, not serial daters, not date the whole friend group, that's a terrible decision, guys. <laughs> Y'all know. Yeah, yeah. A roommate, uh, don't do that. I'm just saying, if there's a legitimate interest, ask her on a date. Go to coffee. Respect her. Honor him. Have a healthy dating relationship. Just see where it goes, right? Because look, you can't know unless you get to know them. We're praying, God, God, is, is he or she the one? He's like, I don't know. Do you know her last name yet? You have no idea. See, we don't need to start focusing on trying to find the one. We already did a dating series about becoming the one, so y'all can go back and listen to that, okay? But here's what you need to look for. You need to look for character and chemistry. Stop looking for the one. You don't know yet. You need to look for character and chemistry. Character, values. Do their values line up with your values? Um, do, Do they want to pursue the same kind of life you want to pursue? Are they following Jesus? No disrespect to anybody in the room that does not follow Jesus. But if you are a Jesus follower, you should not date someone that is not a Jesus follower because that's going to be bad for both of y'all. The non-Jesus follower is going to be so annoyed by you. If I wasn't a Jesus follower, I'd be annoyed by all the getting, you know, praying, reading, going to church. I'm good if I'm not a Jesus follower. It's not lining up character. Are you wanting the same things in life? Is there integrity? Look for integrity. Look for courage. Look for boldness. Look for people who don't just talk about who they are, but actually live out who they are. Does their character line up with the kind of person that you want to spend your life with? And then chemistry. Are you attracted to them? Like, is conversation easy? Like, do you, do you like who you, oh gosh, do you like who you are when you're with them? Chemistry. Man, I was talking to a buddy of mine in grad school, and remember, I was in seminary, so Christians get kind of weird in seminary, but... Um, he was talking about this girl he was dating. He was, man, I was like, how's it going? He was like, man, it's so good. Like, we just both love Jesus so much. Like, I'm not even like tempted to kiss her. I was like, I was like, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, what? You, you should break up with her right now. Now, I'm not proposing that you have to, I'm glad they weren't struggling sexually. And some people, I mean, you don't kiss till you're married. I, I get that. I got friends. I'm not, I'm just, I'm not making a comment about that. I'm just saying, if that desire's not there, there's something that's not clicking in that relationship. I'm just being serious. I'm, I'm not even trying to be funny. God created attraction. It's a real thing. And I was like, bro, you got this all wrong. My goodness. That's not how, that's not how it works. So you need to look for character and chemistry. I'll tell you this quick story real quick, then I'll, I'll move on to the last one, and we'll, we'll get out of here. My sister, I was in seminary, she called me one night, and she's like, Samer, I've got to talk. I was like, what's up? She's my little sister, so I'm real protective. And she was like, um, I, uh, Matt uh, broke up with me. I was like, what do you mean? Like, how, many, how many dates have you been on? She was like, just one. I was like, oh, okay. I mean, you know, it's not your fault. It's probably him, you know, whatever. I said, well, what did he say? And she said, well, he, he wanted to take some time off Um, to pursue the Lord to see if I could be his wife. Y'all should have heard the words that I said. I was like, I wanted to be like, Matt. I shouldn't have said his name. Definitely shouldn't have said his name. 
Doesn't matter. How do you know? Like, I wanted to be like, guess what, bro? You're the one that missed out because she's way out of your league, but you had no idea because you only took her on one date. How do you know? You don't know. He might have found out after a few days, but here's my point. I'm not trying to be all flipping about it. I'm just saying, God created the social mechanism where we get to hang out with people and learn about people and figure out if there's something there. And guess what? If there's not, that's okay. But let's not seek the Lord and ask him when you don't even know. So man, we, we agonize so much about the one. There isn't the one. No, no, I would just love if some Christians in the room would just get better at dating. Date in a way that honors God. Date in a way that glorifies Jesus. You know how you do that? You respect the other person. You honor the other person. You put their needs before your needs. You don't let physicality into the relationship because it'll poison the relationship, right? You honor them and respect them and you go on another date and then the only thing you gotta decide, do I wanna go on date number two? Then you got to decide, am I going on date number three? And you're straight up and you're honest. You don't lead them on. If it's not working, you just tell them. You can date in a way that makes much of Jesus. So in that realm, there is no such thing as just the one. Man, no. God's will is whomever. And he's going to help you figure out who that is. Because statistics say majority of the people in the room will get married. But don't agonize over the one. Let's just seek to date in a way that honors Jesus. Okay. I'm done. Last one. Uh, I'm get me fired up. God's will is wherever. Where am I supposed to go? Where am I supposed to live? Where am I supposed to go after college? Stay in the city, go to a different state, go to another city. What am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? Great question. So oftentimes, here's what we want from God. We want a burning bush moment. We want the bush to like tell us, like it told Moses where we're supposed to go. You know? Yeah. Go to San Francisco. What? Okay. God said, I'm going to San Francisco. You know, we want this moment where God tells us so oftentimes what you're going to find, especially when you're choosing between good and evil, it's pretty obvious. Seek first his righteousness. But oftentimes when we're deciding it's between two really good options and we want God to tell us. And sometimes it really happens. God makes it clear. He closes doors. He tells us in a certain way through a conversation and he makes it very, very clear what direction he wants us to go. But sometimes I'm telling you what I've learned in my own life. God's like, Oh, Atlanta, San Francisco. I don't know. What'd you think? I'll be with you wherever you go. Uh, uh, that internship or, or that, inter- I don't know. I mean, what, what, what do you think, man? I mean, I'll be, I'll be with you wherever, wherever you go. Stay in Atlanta or go study, you know, go up to Illinois. I, I mean, I'm down. Just let me know where you want to go. I'll, I'll be with you wherever you go. Because here's what God, I believe, would say to you and to me is that um, where you are isn't as important as who you are where you are. Where you are isn't as important as who you are, where you are. There's going to be moments where God makes it clear where he wants you, but when he doesn't, what does your gut say? He gave you a gut. What does logic and wisdom say? What do the wise counsel in your life say? So walk confidently and believe that he's going to be with you wherever you go. I went to the University of Georgia. I'm convinced I got in only because I was Arabic. I, I, was, I got in real late, and they were trying to diversify, so I got in, okay? It's fine. I'm cool. Like, let's, I'm good with that. I really am. And I'm being serious, too, man. I got in real late. Um, but I didn't feel like God told me to go to UGA. It just, that's where I got in. And, and I'm a homebody. I wanted to stay at Kennesaw State with my friends, but it just felt like, man, you know, this is what I need to do. It was just something in my gut, so I went, man. And I did everything I could to follow Jesus. I got plugged into a church just like this one. And I focused on who I was, where I was, and I just went. 
And then right after that, it just made the most sense. I, I had a couple job offers, um, one for a church in Colorado. And I was sitting down with um, my boss at the time. He said, hey, Samer, don't worry about job opportunities. They're going to come later. Why don't you just go and prepare for opportunities later. So I was like, you know what, man, it's going to be really hard to go, but I'm going to go out to Dallas, Texas, and I'm going to study and get my master's degree. And that's what we're going to do. I didn't feel like God was like, that's what you should do. I just, I was like, man, this is the next logical step. This is what my gut is saying. This is what people in my life are saying. All right, Lord, I know you're coming with me. Let's go out to Dallas. That's where I met my wife. That's amazing. Um, I worked out there, um, taught swimming lessons, which was crazy. And then I got to come back to Atlanta. Did I feel like God was calling me back to Atlanta? I don't, I don't know. But I knew that's where I wanted to go. My family was. I wanted my kids one day to grow up with their grandparents. It's where my, my wife was. It just made a lot of sense. And I knew God was going to be with me. So look, sometimes it's really, really clear. Sometimes God's will is just, hey, wherever, man, I'm going to go with you. Wherever you Go wherever you are, just like he told Moses, just like he told Gideon, and just like Jesus told the disciples right before he went up into heaven after he was crucified, I will be with you wherever you go. So stop walking so scared and start walking confident because the God of the universe is with you. So man, God's will in that sense, God's will is whatever. God's will is whomever, and God's will is wherever. And here's what I love about this idea, is it takes you out of this place where you're trying to figure out the one thing, and it puts faith in a God that is always working in the background. Because look, he gave you the passions. He gives you the people in your life that are going to speak wisdom into your life. He's given you wisdom. He's given you discretion. He's given you a gut. And here's what you can be confident of is that if in every situation you are seeking to make much of the name of Jesus, I'm telling you, you can be confident that God is always working in the background. Because one day later on in life, will you be able to look back and be like, oh man, that wasn't a coincidence. That really was God working. That really was him moving me where. That really was that conversation. Man, that was God. I saw, I see God moving the whole time. Will you be able to look back and see it? Probably. In the moment, is it as clear as it is after the fact? No. But if we believe that God is as big as he says that he is, if we are seeking to live in a way that makes much of the name of Jesus, we can believe that he's always working in the background and doing whatever he wants to do anyway. So let's decide confidently. Let's walk confidently. And above all else, let's seek to live in a way that makes much of the name of Jesus in whatever you do with whomever you find yourself with and wherever you find yourself living. And if you do, I'm telling you, you can be confident beyond the shadow of a doubt that you will be smack dab in the middle of God's will for your life. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for tonight. We're grateful for a church um, that opens up its doors. Um, thank you for your truth. Thank you that you are always with us. And thank you um, that we can walk confidently knowing and believing that your hand is always guiding, your hand is always moving. And our job is to make much of the name of Jesus. We love you. It's in the matchless name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.